The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. So, uh, if you've been with us for the last couple weeks, there's been this theme of how to play well with others. And Paul started with how to play well with people within the church. Sometimes that's easy, sometimes that's hard. Last week, we had the fun of talking about how you are to honor, respect, and submit to our governing authorities, our government. That was a fun one. Um, so did that last week. And then in this section, Paul uses these three verses, I believe, to create an umbrella statement that covers really everything else. And what Paul is going to talk about in these three verses is how we are to engage with our neighbor, And before we can unpack these verses, we need to know what our neighbor is. See, um, biblically, the New Testament kind of changes it up a little bit on us. A neighbor, as Jesus taught, is anyone you come into contact with. It's not the person who lives on your right and your left only. It's not everyone, but it can be anyone, if that makes sense. We are called to love our neighbor, and that is anyone that in your life you come into contact with on a daily basis, the persons or persons, you see, person or persons that you see, they are your neighbor. And, and Jesus actually taught this in many forms, but one of them was the parable of the Good Samaritan. He was asked by a teacher of the law, hey, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, who is my neighbor? And Jesus is like, let me tell you a story. There's two religious guys that saw a dude beat up on the side of the road. They both passed him because they were too righteous to get their hands dirty. But then this Samaritan, he came by, and he helped him, and he, Jesus finishes that story, and he asks the, the teacher, who was the better neighbor? It's an interesting statement. Who was the better neighbor? And even the teacher of the law had to go, who was the man who stopped and engaged and helped? He didn't know the person, he was a total stranger, but he became a neighbor because he saw need and he met it. And what Paul is going to tell us in these three short verses is that we are to love our neighbor. Anyone we come into contact with, whether we know them or not, we are called to love, and he's going to give a very compelling argument as to why We are to do that. So, Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Paul says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So that first phrase, there have been a lot of people over the centuries who have tried to take that first phrase, rip it out of context, use it all by itself to say that Christians, Christians are not supposed to ever have debt. Okay? And if you read it, just as itself, let no debt remain outstanding. It's like, you claim the name of Jesus, Christians aren't supposed to have debt. That is absolutely not what Paul is saying here. Okay? That's absolutely not what he's saying. It doesn't fit the context. It's not what he's talking about. He's setting up a very poetic next phrase. Have no debt except the debt of love. That's a debt that we should all bear. Now, does the Bible talk about debt? Mm-hmm. Does the Bible talk about debt in a negative sense? Yes. It says if you've got a bunch of it, you're a slave to it. You're, you're owned because of your debt. And anyone who's found themselves under mounds of debt, you know that pressure. You know that feeling. The Bible does talk about it, but right here, it is not talking about debt. It's making a statement. We are to have no debt except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves one another fulfills the law. So, this verse 
is about making sure that Christians, these are people that claim the name of Jesus. Now, if you're in here today and you don't, this is a safe place. Welcome. Hang out. But this verse is saying, if you do, if you claim the name of Jesus, if you are a Christian, then you are to pay forward love to all. You owe it to them. You're to pay it forward. You're to show love to all that you come into contact with, without exception. Okay, so remembering last week, even if you weren't here, you've got to pay your taxes, you've got to honor and respect those who are in governing authority positions, you've got to do that. Now what Paul is saying is, and then to everyone else, pay them the debt of love. Love your neighbor. Love everyone that you come into contact with. The one debt that you can never repay is the debt of love. We can never say, I've done enough loving on them. That's all I need to do for them. I've paid it off. I've loved them enough for what they've given me. There's always more love that can be given. There was a second century commentator, his name was Origen, wrote a bunch about the Bible and about the life of Jesus. He has this statement. He says, since we must pay the debt of love daily, okay, since we must pay the debt of love daily, we will always owe it. So what he's saying is you can't go, hey, I love the mess out of you on Tuesday. And you're being a punk on Wednesday. So we're square. And in fact, I loved you enough on Tuesday that it should cover Wednesday and Thursday. Your deposit is full and you are getting nothing out of me for the next couple days because I'm spent. We can never say the debt has been covered because we pay that debt daily. Each day is a new day with all that we come into contact with. Christians must love those who we come into contact with daily because whoever loves others fulfills the law of God. Now, this is an interesting statement because we don't know the Old Testament the way that Paul's readers would have. All they had was the Old Testament. Like He's writing the New Testament right now. That's all they have is the Old Testament. Old Testament is the law. What was the law given for? God gave his children the law to set them apart. He said, of all the people in all the world, I'm going to call you to live a certain way. I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to make you holy. And the way that you're going to look different than the rest of the world is you're going to obey my law. Started with 10 commandments, added several more, ended up with 614. You follow these commandments, you're going to look different than the world, you're going to be set apart, you're going to be holy, everything's good, you're my people, that's how the world will know. Paul is saying, if you love others, if you love your neighbor, you fulfill the law. So what Paul is saying is, let me simplify it. You want to be set apart, you want to look different than the rest of the world, love everyone you come into contact with. The rest of the world is not going to do this. But if you claim the name of Jesus, if you say, I I am with him, the way that the world will know, the way that you will look different is the way that you love. Jesus says the exact same thing. And when you got Paul and Jesus, my two all-stars of the New Testament, okay, when you got both of them saying the exact same thing, we probably ought to listen. So here's what Jesus says, Matthew 22, verses 37 and 40. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Jesus is replying to another teacher of the law who said, Jesus, teacher, what's the most important commandment? Of all the 614 of them, what's the most important one? Jesus responds very quickly, love God. That's the most important one. 
And I'm sure the teacher of the law was pretty impressed. Jesus says, this is the first and the greatest commandment. But then Jesus quickly goes, oh, and there's one more. There's a second one that, that I would throw in there as well. The second is like it. I love that. Love God and like that. Just like what I just said. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets, all the Old Testament, all the 614 commandments, they hang on these two. They hang on these two commandments. Now, I just told you that I think Jesus and Paul are all-stars, that we shouldn't really argue with them because they are smart cookies. I have one question. It's not an argument, but I have a question. It's more philosophical. How can someone be commanded to love? The greatest commandment is to love. If I command you to love me, that is selfish and it's nearly tyrannical. I need you to love me. You, I'm commanding you to love me. That's not how love works, right? That's not how love works. You don't command someone to do it. It just happens. You choose to do it. So how can God command something that needs to be chosen? Well, I want to just for a moment, not completely, but just for a moment, to separate love and emotion. What God is commanding is action. He's commanding sacrifice and service, putting others before yourself. That's what he's commanding. It's an action. But those actions, devoid of emotion, are works. And if you hear this message today, and if you go, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to love my neighbor. And it's not coming from a overflowing and outflowing of love, you're going to get really tired and really frustrated really fast. You're going to quit. But the reason that I believe that God can command us to love our neighbor, the reason he can call us to that, is because of what he's already done. Okay? What he's already done is why he can command us to do this. 1 John 4, 19. We love others, our neighbors, because he first loved us. I think I've either read this or quoted this verse in almost every sermon in our series in Romans. I really do. And, and there's a reason why. This is foundational. This is foundational. If you want to talk about how to engage with others, if you want to talk about how a Christian is supposed to act, our actions come as an overflowing of the love that we've received. They don't come because we're good. They don't come because we're awesome. They come because God first loved us. And in response to the love that he has extravagantly poured out upon us, we then are compelled to love others. So how do we receive this love of God? How does that happen? Well, luckily, Romans tells us this love is given to us through the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, verse 5. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So, we're commanded to show love to all that we come into contact with. But that love is going to come as an overflow of the Holy Spirit and the love of God in our life. So if you're struggling to love someone, the game is not to try harder. The game is to press more into God. To ask for more of his spirit to ask him to show you his extravagant love. That's the way that we are able to fulfill this commandment. Therefore, therefore, 
it is completely fair in my opinion for God to command us to love everyone that we come into contact with simply because he first loved us. He showed us how to. He equips us with what we need to do so. And therefore, he can ask us to live that out. Verse 9. Paul goes, hey, some of you in the church in Rome are former Jews. You're Christians now, but you're Jews. And you're thinking, well, what about all the other commands? There were 614 of them, and you're saying it can all be summed up in one? Nah. No chance. There's too many. They're too diverse. What about the other commandments? Then he lists a few. Starts with some of the Ten Commandments. He says, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other commands there may be, they're all summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, church, I literally chuckled when I read this. And you're going, where's the joke? I want to show you where I think Paul's either being funny or incredibly witty. But I think it's funny. So look. There are 10 commandments, okay? 10 commandments. The first four commandments deal with man and God. Keep the Sabbath day holy, don't take the Lord's name in vain, so on and so forth. The fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. It's kind of a bridge. Okay, then there's five more. There's five more to make 10. Paul lists four of them here, okay? He lists them. Adultery, murder, stealing, coveting. The one he leaves out is do not bear false testimony. Don't lie. Okay? Don't be a liar, liar, pants on fire, because we all know where liars go. Right? He leaves that out. He, I get that he's not going to list all 600 of them. Come on, I get that. But you're almost done with a list. Why would you leave one out? Here's my hunch, and here's why I chuckled out loud. Paul, a Jew of Jews, being groomed to take over the head Hebrew school in Jerusalem, the smartest dude there is is writing this letter in prison in Rome, and I literally believe he blanked. I literally believe he's like, covet, steal, adultery, and that other commandment. See, no one laughed in the first service either. I think this is hysterical. <laughs> I think this is hysterical because I think he forgot. He's like, Ugh. Lying. Oh, and then he gets it. He's like, ah, oh, but this works. So, and then any other commandment that I forgot, they're all summed up by this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. I love this. Paul's point is very clear. If you truly love those you encounter, then the commandments will all be fulfilled. Think about it. If you love your neighbor, you won't commit adultery because you love your wife, your husband, your spouse. If you're loving, you won't murder. That's a given. Okay? Those don't go together. If you love someone, you're not going to steal from them. It's pretty simple. If you love someone, you're not going to be jealous. You're not going to covet what they have because you're going to rejoice with them and their success if you love them. And then whatever commandment else I forgot... <laughs> If you just love, it's going to be good. It's going to be all good. If you just love, you will fulfill all the commandments. And if you think about it, think about it, church. When we fall short, when we sin, 
Is there really any sin that you can commit that cannot be summarized because of a lack of love for God or others? I mean, think about it. I, I, I can't really think of a sin that wouldn't be covered had you just chosen to love God or love others. When we choose to disobey, when we choose to break the law, when we sin, it's because we failed to love. And that's why Paul is correct in saying that all of this is summed up in one commandment. All of this is. It's all summed up in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love everyone the way you love yourself. That's a sticky landmine right there. Okay? Love everyone the way you love yourself. There's a problem here. There are some of you in this room who do not love yourself. You do not love yourself at all. And there's others in this room who love yourself a little too much. <laughs> Both are problems, okay? And let me explain why. Because when Paul says we're to love everyone we come into contact with the way that we love ourselves, for those of you in here who do not love yourself, you're like, I would never do that to someone. To think about someone else the way I think about myself, to treat someone else the way I treat myself, that would be wrong. I want you to hear yourself talking and realize you are right. So what are we to do then? If we struggle to love ourselves, what are we to do if Paul says, love your neighbor as yourself? Well, I think we backtrack and look at how does God love us? And the answer is simple, unconditionally. And he loves us because he made us and he knows he does not make mistakes. And there's people in this room today that need to hear that. God loves you without condition and he doesn't make mistakes. That's why you're worthy of love. It's because you were made in his image. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. You're his. You need to know that to be able to love yourself, but then that is the way that you love others, even people that are hard to love. I love you because God made you and because God loves you unconditionally. Now for those like myself who love myself a little too much, what, what's wrong with that? If I'm just gonna love people the way I love myself, well then, for those of you like me, you just set the bar really high. So if I'm gonna love others the way I love myself, that means I am always gonna put them first. That means I'm always gonna think they're right. That means I'm always gonna give them the benefit of the doubt. That means I'm always gonna think they're awesome and everyone else isn't. That's really hard. So if that's you, if you love yourself a little too much, then probably what you need to do is ask God to humble you a little bit so that we can bring that bar back down to a more reasonable level. Somewhere where we actually can love someone the way that we love ourselves unconditionally because we're made in the image of God. Fulfill the law, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Love will not harm your neighbor. 
Love will not allow you to harm your neighbor. A positive way of saying that is love will want good for your neighbor, reminding you that a neighbor is anyone that you come into contact with. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. It fulfills it all. It covers it all. How can we harm someone that we come into contact with? Understanding the immense love and mercy that has been shown to us. How can we step on someone to get to where we need to go knowing how much God has sacrificed to give us what we need? How can we do that? I really believe that what Paul is saying here is, is similar to what he says in Romans 8, 28, that God works for the good of those who love him. I think he's saying the same thing. Hey, will you just, will you just try and do good for everyone that you come into contact with? Will you just kind of make that your baseline when you experience someone else, will you just say, hey, my attitude towards you is the same as God's attitude towards me. I want good for you. Can you imagine how different our lives might look if we adopted that mentality? I, I don't have to figure out if you're for me or against me. I don't have to figure out if I, if I can trust you. Or not. I just want good for you. I just want good for you because love can't do harm, so it must do good. What a beautiful concluding statement to this short thought. Love can't do harm, so it must do good. And true love for our neighbor fulfills all that God has called his people to. Failure to love is a huge problem. Why? Because Paul says there's no place for failure to love in the life of a Christian. There's just no place for it. It can't be because that's what sets us apart. That's what makes you a Christian. So there's really no room for failure here. So practically then, what, what do we do with these three verses? What do we do with these three verses? Well, I think we realize that without love, our life and our service to God and to others is gonna be at a deficit. Okay, and, and what I specifically mean is that without the love of God in us, we're going to be working in our own power, and we're going to be severely inefficient. And that's a problem. Because if we want to fulfill the law that sets us apart, then we're going to need the power within us to be able to do so. So I think we need to see that, that we don't want to operate at a deficit. We want to operate at full capacity. So the only way that we're going to be able to do that is to understand the full magnificence and extravagance of God's love for us. And as the band comes back up here, um, I just want you to realize that God's love for you is bigger than you can imagine. It just really is. No matter who you are, no matter where you're at, God's love for you is bigger than you can imagine. And the reason that I know that is because of the price that he was willing to pay to love you. And that's the life of his son. So his love is bigger than you can imagine. That is the fuel that calls us, that compels us, that commands us to love others. And I want us to realize that because of the extravagance and the magnificence of God's love for us, we all then are in debt. The deposit that's been made in us, those who in faith have chosen Jesus and, and stepped into this extravagant love, that, that deposit is so huge that we are in debt and God says, hey, don't pay the debt necessarily back to me. Pay it to others. 
Pay that debt to others. That debt should cause you to live differently, to look different, to love everyone. That debt of love that you owe to all that you come into contact with every day, that should compel you. It's such a great debt just because of the great amount of love that we've been shown. And I know it feels weird to be compelled by a debt, but for those of you in the room who are, who are honest, there is something that compels us when we feel like, oh, I, I owe that. I, I need to set that account straight. And for the people in your life that are hard to love, it might just flip the switch if you think, oh, I owe them love because of what's been given to me. I owe them. I don't know how I owe them, but I owe them. So I, I want to try, try and pay that back. So the real question then today is, will you daily repay this debt? Will you daily wake up and go, it's Monday. I have a debt of love to pay to all those that I come into contact with. It's Tuesday. It's payday. It's Wednesday. Nathan, who's preaching in Norman today, he sent me this quote. I think it's really cool, and I'm going to close with it. If someone sees our love for one another and feels our love for them, that debt's being paid, feels our love for them, then the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it will be seen in you. How do we share the good news of Jesus? We let others see our love for one another and feel our love for them. And as a church, I've said this a bunch because I'm kind of laying the foundation for something we're going to do in 2020, but we're for people because God is for everyone. We love because God first loved us. It's kind of a really simple way of looking at it. Today, as we respond, there's communion in the back corners of the room. If you need to be reminded of the extravagant love that, that Jesus showed you through giving his body and his blood, you can take communion at your leisure. It's, it's there for you. There'll be some people up here that would love to pray with you. I'd just love to, if you want to talk about how it's hard to love this person or you want to talk about anything else, just pray on the power of God. We'll be here to do that. But let's, let's allow God to show us in this moment his extravagant love so that we can leave here and go love our neighbor well and fulfill the law. So Father, thank you for your love, for your son Jesus, for the hope that we have in him. Come and just extravagantly pour that love out on us so we might know you, trust you, obey you, and glorify you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.